0: I wish so badly, sometimes, I've said this before, that I could have a pastor cam, those little like, um, you know, those cameras that you put on people's heads and stuff. I wish I could have had one of those at the 9 o'clock service. And here's why. We, um, we've been, for the last four weeks, we, or five weeks, for the last five weeks, for a while now, a long period of time, we've been looking at a, uh, first century documents that were brought to us by a, a guy named Luke and I don't know how you can teach on Luke for an extended period of time and not talk about the Holy Spirit. And as soon as I started to talk about the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, different reactions started to go over people's faces. It was just funny to watch. There were those who were like, yes, he's going to do it. The pastor's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And then there were other people who were like, oh, boy, you could just see the defensiveness coming up. Like, oh, no, we're not going to become one of those churches, are we? It's just you could see it. On their faces. And then some other people are just like, whatever, you know? It was just, it was so interesting just to see the different faces. Well, you know, regardless of where you're coming from, we're going to take a running start at this. So let's review where we've been, and then let's get into what Luke says about this Holy Spirit, all right? So back and way up to the start of our series, we started here. Something happened 2,000 years ago that divided history. And whether you use the BCE or whether you use the BCAD, It's the same guy, dividing history. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Something happened in and through and around that life that was so significant that we date everything else on the basis of that man. Everything, every other person, every other event. It's all on that timeline. Ooh. And so what we've been doing, as I mentioned a little earlier, it is part five today's part five of a seven-part series called The Doctor Examines Easter. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at these, these accounts that were passed down to us from a first-century physician. If you're a note-taker, there's a place to write this in your notes. Luke, this, this person who's the author of a book of Luke and the book of Acts, which are both included in our Bible, Luke was a first-century physician who set out to provide an orderly account of these events that had everybody talking Back then, these events had everybody talking. It wasn't just something that, that got snowballed over time. Back then, in that time, in this place, in that place, that these were events that had everybody talking. Now, because a document's existence doesn't validate its claims, we spent week one of this series addressing the issue of Luke's credibility. And what I did in week one is I made a case as best I could with the time that I had that Luke's authorship was uncontested. We believe it was Luke that wrote it. At least the people back then did. Luke's scholarship is exemplary. His narratives continually uh, continue to be externally verified. So what I want to do today is we launch into this idea of what did Luke say about the Holy Spirit. I thought it would be interesting to say, when did Luke first come into contact with people that were talking about Jesus and talking about the Holy Spirit? When did this first happen? And we don't know for sure, but Luke might have left us a clue. If you have your Bibles, let's take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 16, starting with verse 6. Luke might have left us a clue as to when he first got introduced to all this. It's speculation, but sometimes it's fun to speculate. If you don't have a Bible, I want to let you know, too, we keep a stack of them at a table right by that door, and a table by that door, and they're, they're there for you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. Please take one, um, either now or, or, or when you leave. It's, it's, a, it's a gift. All right, here we go. Luke, or we're going to look at the book of Acts, which was written also by Luke, uh, starting with Acts 16, verse 6. All right. And what, when it says they here, they're talking about this small group of people who who were going out now, these incredible things that happened in in Jerusalem, Galilee area, and now these people are bringing the message of this out and about. So when they, this group of people who's spreading this message, when they went through the region of that one place in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, when they came up to Mysia, they were tempted to go into this other place, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do that. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Now, I want you to notice a couple things from this passage. Thing number one is that they're using the word they. Luke is using the word they. I want you to notice that because when we pick up with this, they is going to change to we and us. So notice that. The other thing I want you to notice is that Luke brings up this Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus, all right? So continuing on with, um, with verse 8, so, or no, we already got that. So verse nine, picking up with verse nine. And a vision appeared to Paul in this town Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there in the vision, urging Paul and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. As best I can discern it, this is the first time where a they becomes a we. And this is where Luke joins the narrative. Now, I find that that interesting. We might have that little clue, but what I also find interesting here is the connection with the Holy Spirit. Is it possible that the Holy Spirit said, hey, don't go where you're planning on going in part so that Paul and Luke could get connected in this city called Troas? Now, that's speculation. A lot of inference there, but what isn't speculation is that Luke dedicated a whole lot of ink to this Holy Spirit. That's not not speculation. You can just open it up. Open up the Bible and look for yourself. He devotes a lot of ink to the Holy Spirit. In Luke's narratives, if you're taking notes, in Luke's narratives, the most buzzworthy events are inseparable from the activity of the Holy Spirit. You can't separate the two. When something buzzworthy is happening, the Holy Spirit is right in the mix. And last week, we discovered that Luke the doctor didn't minimize the accounts of miracles. He didn't say, hey, I'm a doctor. I'm not going to look at this miracle. I'm just going to disregard that. He actually pressed into that. We're going to see the same thing with the Holy Spirit. When, when these reports were coming his way about the Holy Spirit, Luke didn't minimize that. Luke doubled down, and he, just, he, he speaks about it a lot. I counted more than 15 direct references to the activity of the Holy Spirit in the book of Luke, and the number of references quadruples in the book of Acts. Acts is only 28 chapters long and you have at least 60 references to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is all over the place. The Spirit fills a baby boy in the womb in one of Luke's accounts. And the Spirit is at work in an 84-year-old woman in another one. The Holy Spirit comes upon individuals. The Holy Spirit comes upon groups, Jews, Gentiles, the faithful and those once hostile to the Christian faith. Luke frames the activity of the Holy Spirit as inseparable from the spread of Christianity. All right, let's take a look here at a, at a passage from Luke. This is from Luke 24, 48. This is the last chapter of Luke's volume that he called, or that we call, the book of Luke. It comes at the very end of the, the book. This is Jesus. He's just risen from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven, and he gives his disciples this commission. It says this in Luke 24, starting with verse 48, You... He's talking to his followers. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. Stay in the city, meaning Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus commissioned his followers to serve as witnesses, and they were about to receive a power that would enable them to do as Jesus instructed it's interesting if you do a search of the word power and Holy Spirit. You see that these, throughout the New Testament especially, these two terms are connected. There's a clear link. Take a look. Here's some examples that you can see uh, for yourself. Uh, there's this one, Luke 4.14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Here's a couple more examples. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is from 1 Corinthians two four. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And one more, Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. There's a clear association here between power and the Holy Spirit. What forms does this power take? Here's a partial list. For those of you who... Um, are on the ECC mail. If you want to do a search, I encourage you to do that uh, this week. The, here's some of the results that came up in my little search when I looked at the Holy Spirit and I, I looked just at Luke, just at Acts. Look at this. Here's some of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit equips people for ministry, and there's a bunch of references there. The Holy Spirit provides divine wisdom and insight. A whole lot of references there. The Holy Spirit inspired prophecy. A whole lot of references there. The Holy Spirit leads, guides, and directs. Here's some more things. The Holy Spirit taught and instructed. The Holy Spirit provided encouragement. The Holy Spirit filled people with joy. The Holy Spirit filled people with boldness. The Holy Spirit fueled visions. The Holy Spirit prepared people for hardships. In other words, the Holy Spirit empowers the faithful to carry out the things that we've been commissioned to do. When the Holy Spirit descended on a group of first century believers on a day called Pentecost, it was a group of of men and women about the size of us right in this room. Holy Spirit descends on a group about this size and a group of people who had far fewer resources than we have, a group of people that had far less education than we've had, and the Holy Spirit descends on them and they were forever changed. And then they went out and forever change the world. And this isn't just me, preacher guy, saying this. I, I referenced last week a National Geographic uh, uh, magazine that I saw in the airport. And National Geographic often takes a very skeptical bent towards, towards more mysterious things of, of Christianity. Here's, this was in their article. This is their words here. They, they're referring to this Pentecost event where the Holy Spirit fell in this group of 100-ish people This is what National Geographic says about that event. It was the big bang moment for Christianity. Interesting choice of words. This is the big bang moment for Christianity with the apostles blasting out of Jerusalem, scattering across the known world. It was also a remarkable moment for the history of the world. A handful of fishermen and other working-class men, and I would add women, born of little social power or position, changed the course of much of humanity forever. The work of the Holy Spirit was inseparable from the formation and the spread of Christianity. And yet, it's possible to grow up in many American churches today and, and, and to be able to relate to this quote, also from the book of Acts. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. I grew up, um, my early years were spent in churches. They didn't teach us about the Holy Spirit. As close as we got is we had these creeds, we would say. And every once in a while, the the two words Holy Ghost would show up in, in a creed. That's as close as we got. You know, reflecting back on that, that's akin to teaching someone to drive without ever handing them the keys. The book of Luke itself contains this this invitation. Here it is. This is the invitation. Then let's look at what the scripture actually says. The invitation says, Our Heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Here's here's where I find that passage. You can look it up yourself. Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 11. These are the words of Jesus. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give whom? The Holy Spirit, to those who ask Him. Now here's the thing, and here's why, why I think we had so many different reactions on people's faces. Because if you ask 10 different pastors, if you ask 10 different scholars, 10 different theologians, 10 different Christians... How did, how does this play out? How, how does this actually work in your life? How does it actually work to say, okay, I want more of that? How do I get more of that? You ask 10 different people, you're going to get 11, 12, 14 different answers. How does that happen? Well, it happens because in the Bible, you don't have a single formula. You don't have a single ritual. You don't have a, if you do this, then you are guaranteed this when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Let me just... This is just from Luke and Acts. Let me just show you what I'm talking about here. Um, Luke 11:13, we just read that Jesus says, "Ask the Father, and He'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit." In Acts 4:31, the Holy Spirit fills believers after they pray, and they're not praying in that specific instance. Father, send the Spirit. It's a prayer of boldness. God, give us power. We just got beat up for the faith. We're getting, we're getting persecuted here. Give us the boldness to, to go and proclaim Your Word then it falls on them there. In, in uh, uh, Luke 2, 25 and Acts 2, 4, the Holy Spirit in those situations is linked to obedience and faithful expectancy. People who were, were expectant of what God would or could do and were being faithful in their lives. In Luke 1, 15, you got John the, the Baptist. He, 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 it says, is, was filled with the Spirit from the womb. All right? Speaking of baptism, take a look at this. Luke and Acts. What's the relationship between baptism and, and the Holy Spirit? Well, Peter instructed a crowd to repent and be baptized and that they would be filled with the Spirit. But people who had been baptized in Acts eight seventeen and Acts 9, 1 through 6, they had been baptized, but they apparently didn't receive the Spirit until people prayed, put their hands on them and prayed, and then they received the Holy Spirit. And then you've got Acts, chapter 10, verses 44 through 47. And you've got the Holy Spirit falling on a group who hadn't been baptized. No one put their hands on them. Peter is just preaching, and the Holy Spirit falls on the group. They're like, we should probably baptize these guys. No wonder people are are like, well, there's this, or there's this, or there's this, because you've got all these different precedents. You have all these different examples. So what's my for what it's worth? How do I approach this? Here's how I approach this. As I read the scriptures and as I reflect on what I've seen in, in, in life with my own eyes, I come away with the understanding we don't get to tell the Holy Spirit how and when to act. That we don't get to say to the Holy Spirit, I did this, therefore you must that's how I see it. I, I don't see a single ritual that guarantees a specific result. I don't see that there's magic words. Oh, if I get the words right, then something happens. I see all kinds of different activity of the Holy Spirit. So I've come to the conclusion that the, receiving the Holy Spirit is less about getting a particular ritual right. It is more about removing barriers. Removing barriers. I, I got a sermon illustration, you. Um, he was asked, I saw Steve Light last night, and he's like, I was telling him about my day, and he's going, that's going to be a sermon illustration. I wasn't sure at the time, but now, now I am. Um, I spent most of yesterday under my kitchen sink. Uh, and Maybe some of you can relate to the projects. that seemed like they're going to be easy, and then, right? Well, the project h- had to do with plumbing, and I am so far from a plumber. I don't have the spiritual gift of that. And, and, but but, but, but our, our, our kitchen sink was, was, was a mess. And here's the thing. In Shoreview, we live just down the road. If you go down Lexington you're gonna, and, and go north on Lexington from 96, you're going to see this huge water tower. That's our water tower. Our family has access to all that water. More water than we could ever use. This source of, of living water. We got access to that. But not with a broken sink. You don't. And so there were some repairs that needed to happen for us to access that water, to get this huge, tremendous store of water flowing in our lives. Now, if you go to different homes here in Shoreview, how many live in Shoreview, Arden Hills, right around here? A lot of you do, okay? If you live around here and they went under your sinks, they would look probably a little different than my sink. You know, there's, there's, the Holy Spirit is going to look a little different in every life, and it's going to be at work in every life a little bit different, and there's no one formula that I can give you to, to, to have it all work, and we shouldn't expect that everything's going to look all the same in all of our lives, you know, but there are certain principles that apply, and they apply to all of us, and perhaps some of these principles that I'm about to give you might have something to do with whether or not the Holy Spirit is active in your life. So what I'm giving you right now is not a checklist. I'm not giving you a checklist to say, if you do these things, then here's exactly what it's going to look like. I can't do that. But what I can say is, perhaps one of these things is in play in your life. And perhaps if you're more attentive to that, maybe there could be some different results. So here are some, what I believe are common barriers to receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit or having the Holy Spirit active in your life. The first one is this, a a common barrier. You're not a Christian. That's the starting place for this. And by saying, are you a Christian? I'm not saying, do you attend a church? I'm not saying if you had to check one box, would you check? Do you profess with your lips and with your life that you're a follower of Jesus? That's the starting point, you know? So I would encourage you to ask that question. Have I I ever done that? Have I ever at some point in my life had a conscious realization or came to an actual conversion where I've said, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm going to order my whole life around that. I would encourage if you've never done that, well, that's a starting point. I would encourage you to do that. Here's another one. Perhaps you've never been baptized. Now, we see in Luke's writing, to be clear, we see in Luke's writings, it's not a magic ritual. It doesn't guarantee. It comes at different times of the Holy Spirit, but there's a clear link. There's a clear link between the activity of the Holy Spirit and water baptism. So here's a question Have you ever been baptized? either as an infant or as a believer, because I've heard testimonies from both of the Holy Spirit working through both. I've talked to people who are baptized as an in infant, and they, they can, all the way back through their life, they were consciously aware of the Spirit's of work in their life. I've talked to other people who are baptized as a believer. They said, I came up from that water, and I was a new person. So we'll help you with both. Have you ever been baptized? Here's another one. Number three, this comes right out of Luke eleven thirteen. Perhaps you've never asked. You've never asked for the, the Holy Spirit to be stirred up in you and, or, or the gift to be given to you. And I want to tell you right now, don't worry about getting the words perfect. You know, I, I look at the Scripture, I'm like, what words do you use? Well, the Bible itself uses all kinds of different words. So go ahead, ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've got... Biblical precedence. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got biblical precedence. Ask to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've got biblical precedence. Ask for the Spirit to come upon you. You've got biblical precedence. The words that you use don't seem to be as important as the actual asking. Just ask. So there's another thought. Here's another one. Deliberate sin. If you're you're taking notes, or even if you're not, you might want to jot down Acts 7.51. Acts 7.51, there's a strong rebuke that's issued right there, and it's issued to religious people who are resisting the spirit. That's the phrase that's used. You're resisting the spirit. If there's something, and so I want to challenge you on that. Is there some area where you might be resisting the spirit? Now, you might not be thinking in those categories. Maybe you're thinking, my conscience is saying this, but I'm resisting that. Or you might use the language, I feel like I should, or God wants me to, but I'm not going there. I I, I don't want to do that. I would suspect that if you keep tracing that back, there's probably either fear, or even if you trace it deeper, there's probably pride. And pride is a root sin. Pride is one of the things that can keep you out of the kingdom of God if it takes full root in your life. So perhaps the activity of the Holy Spirit isn't what you'd expect because you're saying, no, you're resisting the Spirit. All right, um, let's move on. Number uh, five, hidden motives. Here's another one you might want to write down. You might want to write down Acts 8. It's fascinating. If we had more time, I'd love to dig into that, but I encourage you to look at it on your own. Luke records the account in, Luke Act, in Acts 8. Luke records the account of a man named Simon. Simon wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit because Simon's a magic guy. Simon sees what's happening. He's going, there's a power. I want to get me some of that. He says, I'll pay you money. I'll pay you money if you can teach me how to do that. And they said, no, you're not getting any part of this. Perhaps your motives are a little off. Maybe it's not the money thing, but I think about my own life. When I first, I got later into high school, I, I, that was the first time I started to really hear about the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I want to do what I just saw there. And the the gifts of the Holy Spirit actually became a hindrance to me from the giver. Perhaps that you, you've heard a little about the Holy Spirit and you've got certain expectations. God, give me this gift. Do this in my life. Then... Boy, if-thens, careful of those with God. Because that comes back to that pride thing. But perhaps that might be one of the things in play. Maybe instead of saying, God, do this, do this, do this, maybe instead just, God, here I am. Like Mary, when she was filled with the Spirit, she's just, your servant's here, you know. I'll do what you ask. Just a thought. Number six, here's another reference to write down. Number six, hypocrisy. Write down Acts chapter 5. I, I, I'll do my best never to bring this one up when we're talking about financial stewardship because in this account, there's a husband and wife, they lie about how much they're given to the church and God strikes them dead. <laughs> so we'll try never to ever use that, you know, in a, in a financial context. But what's said that I find fascinating there is when they're being confronted about this, they say, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You know, and is there a sense in which, you maybe want to do a little reflection, is there a sense in which you're presenting a false self? You know, are you presenting a false self? Are, are you living with a lack of integrity between who you say you are and who you are, between your public and your private? That can be a hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, brokenness doesn't, you can be completely messed up because we all are so let's just admit it, right? Something freeing about that. Oh, man, I have a mess here and here and here. There's something really freeing about that instead of trying to just pretend like your life is something that it isn't. Perhaps something like that could be keeping the Holy Spirit from fully working in your life. And what I, want, I should say, too, you know, the reason I can't say the Holy Spirit working in your life is because sometimes the Holy Spirit is working in our life through the consequences of our behaviors. And I think about my sink when I was trying to put it back together. The water was w- at work in my house. It was dripping here and it was shooting out here. It was at work, but it was not channeled the way God would have it to be channeled. God will use your, your, your sins to get your attention. You know, he can work through it all. All right, number seven. Here's, here's another big one. Perhaps the Holy Spirit isn't at work in your life the way it could be because you're isolated isolated from spirit-filled friends or teachers or mentors. Now, you might be wise to, to isolate yourself from some people who claim to be spirit-filled and are abusive and manipulative and unscriptural. You know what? Isolate from them. But, but from people who are really, they have the character of Christ. You can see that the spirit is at work in their life. You want to have people like these in your life. I needed them because I was so new to all of this. And even now I still need it. And I was so blessed to have this man, Pastor Morris Vognis, who I served under for many years. Oh, what a blessing it was. Because he could really help me as I'm like, okay, I believe the Bible is true, but I don't see this in my life. It was so good to have him help me process that and and ask questions and give me feedback. Here's a couple gems that I got from Pastor Morris Vognis. One of the things that he told me is he said time and time again, he goes, perfection is not a requirement to have the Holy Spirit at work in your life. In fact, if you look at this list, this isn't a checklist where do these things, then the Holy Spirit's at work. You can't even begin to address these without the Holy Spirit being at work. Oh, I needed that. And he taught a lot of us to pray this prayer. He taught us to pray this prayer. God, I can't live this life you've called me to. I need you to live it through me. Oh, I needed that instead of just feeling guilt and, and shame, like, why, why can't I speak in tongues? Why can't I have this gift of healing? Why, well, you know, it, was, it wasn't, well, there's something wrong with you, you. know. It was more of, oh, okay, I can't do any of this. God, would you live through me the way you want? So that was one nugget that Pastor Morris taught me. Another one he taught me was the importance of, of thanksgiving. And not thanksgiving where you prayed for a specific result and then you get it and then you give thanks, but just a, a, a thanksgiving that comes from the authority of God's word where he says, okay, the Father said, or Jesus said, Jesus' own words, he said, if you ask the Father, he'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you ask for that? I said, yeah. Then he said, I can declare on the authority of God's word, God is faithful to his promises. He's given you that gift. Thank him for it. Okay, but I'm not like, there's no miracles and stuff. I know, thank him for it, okay? Thank you, God, for giving me the gift of your Holy Spirit. Another great teaching. See, to have mentors like this in your life are so important. People that can give you perspective. People that can help you from going off on one crazy tangent or another. So important to have people like that. All right, well, enough teaching. Enough teaching. Let's talk response. Let's talk response. Let's ask God to repair things that are broken so that the Holy Spirit can flow into us and through us. So... Just review the things we talked about. These might be some things in play. Have you ever professed with your lips and with your life that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? If not, today could be a day you can do that. You don't have to do it up front. You can just do it right where you're at, just consciously saying, you know, God, my life is yours. Help me to proclaim with my lips and my life that you're my God. Another thing the Bible says to do is to be baptized. If you've never been baptized, no more putting it off. Come up to me today and let's set, either if you want just a discussion to talk about it, great. Or if you want to set a date, let's get something on the calendar, okay? Another one, Bible invites us to ask. So you could just today just say, God, I ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I ask for the Spirit to be spilled up. You can do that. And not only can you just do it if you want yourself, we would have some people that would be thrilled, thrilled to come around you. And to pray with you, to do what the Bible said there, where if you want, they can put a hand on their shoulder, they can, they can do that, or they can just pray with you. But see where that sign says prayer? We'll have people there during communion, after the service. If you would like someone to pray and join you in that asking, to follow that example we see in the Scripture, they would be excited to pray that with you. And I'm excited that the people that are praying with you would be praying with you. We don't have people that are going to be forcing you to do weird things or any of that kind of stuff. They're just people who care about you and love God you know, and have have the Spirit working in their lives. So there's that opportunity. So there's three that you can, you can choose from, and here's one that we all need, and that's this idea of repentance. And that's something that, that we do, not just when we talk with the Holy Spirit. This is something we should do daily, but it's something we do as a group at least once a month. At least once a month, we gather around the Lord's table. We, we commemorate communion. And you, we invite any of you to join us there today, as long as you can do this with sincerity. If you're not familiar with what communion is, we wrote a little bit about it on the back, and you can read through that, and if you can respond with sincerity, we would be excited to have you come forward and join us. The way it works here at our church is we'll pray together. We have some prayers that we we speak out as, as one, and then I'll invite the servers to come forward and the prayer team. We'll have the prayer team also come forward at that time. I'll serve them communion. Jill will play a little instrumental so you can reflect and personalize this, and then we'll have the One team of the community service go over there, one over there, and then the prayer team will be back there. And then we invite you to to come forward. We won't have an usher that'll tell you when because we'd like it to be a deliberate decision on your part to say, I'm making a decision to come forward, not because my row is coming forward, but because that's something that that I desire. So that's how it is going to work. So let's begin, and and I want to begin, I want to do this more often than we've been doing it. Begin by reading this from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that talks about, communion and why we do it the lord jesus on the night was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you drink eat of this bread and drink of this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes this passage goes on if we were to continue reading it goes on to say you should examine yourself before coming forward why would you do that well It says uh, in no uncertain terms here in 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. But if we confess these sins before God, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So please join me in that confession. We have um, some uh, prayers that we would invite you to join with us in praying. Let's, Let's pray. Are you ready to go? Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word, and we will be made clean. Let's continue. Father, we we pray now that you will clear the way. Lord, clear the way. We pray that you would cast from this room anything that is not of you. Distractions and unfounded doubts. Questions that that have answers. Pride, fear. Holy Spirit, descend on us. We not only invite you here, we confess our absolute dependency. We can't even come to the Father without you already at work in us. So we welcome, we welcome your presence here among us. Father, clear the way so that your spirit can can be poured out at this place in this time. And Father, as, as another act of solidarity, we now pray a prayer that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. at work, Holy Spirit's always at work, and at uh, the nine o'clock service right during this time, uh, one of the prayer team came and they handed me this card and they said, if anyone has neck problems, invite them to come to prayer, and so I said, well, if any of you have neck problems, when we dismiss, if you want to go for prayer, and they had someone who had long-term neck problems, walk out of here feeling great the Holy Spirit's at work and, and uh, the Holy Spirit wants to speak into your life. The Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. And beyond that, the Holy Spirit would love to be stirred up in you. So not only are you on the receiving end, but you could be on the giving end of this. What if you went and, and before the Father and asked for to get the Holy Spirit? And what if all of a sudden these gifts started to be active in your life? And that would be really cool for you. But let me tell you something, I'm kind of saying with some selfishness here, Because if the Holy Spirit starts working in all of us, we have more people who are gifted by the Holy Spirit to do the things that God's asked us to do. And beyond that, we have more people who are having the character of Christ being formed in them, because that's what the Spirit does as well. So do it for yourself or do it for us. But we encourage you to to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us this great gift. And I, for one, want to be first in line, to apologize how little attentive, sometimes I'm so unattentive to that precious gift. Help us all to become more attentive to to allowing you to, to work in and through us. Thank you for this gift as we go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. They'll be there to pray if you'd like someone to pray with you.